Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week, we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. The message this week comes from Palm Sunday's sermon. We all know the image of Palm Sunday, Jesus riding into Jerusalem as the crowds cheer and lay down palms and cloaks for Jesus to ride over. We often talk about this day as one of victory and joy, when the people of Jerusalem finally worship Jesus. Yet the scriptures tell us that Jesus wept over the city and decried its citizens. Why does Jesus feel such sorrow in the middle of such joy? Today, Pastor David Cartwright suggests that Jesus mourned that the people just didn't get what was really happening and encourages us to try and get what is happening today amid this global pandemic. As we go to our message today, let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us. Our text for today comes from Luke chapter 19. Um, I'm going to start reading at verse 28 and uh, we'll go all the way through verse 44. So I hope you have your text in front of you and read along from Luke 19. This is a pretty traditional text for today, a day that we call Palm Sunday, most traditionally. So let's hear God's word. And after he had said these things, he was going on ahead, ascending to Jerusalem. And it came about that when he approached Bethphage and Bethany, near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, in which, as you enter, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Thus shall you speak. The Lord has need of it. And those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them, and as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and they threw their garments on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they were spreading their garments in the road. And as he was now approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully, with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the multitude said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. And when he approached, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days shall come upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank before you and surround you and hem you in on every side and will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, in these moments, 
uh, quiet our hearts and our minds before you that we might hear your voice. Uh, grant grace to me that I would speak uh, the words of your truth, that I would speak them in simplicity, full of grace, that you uh, would accomplish in our midst today your good and perfect will. For every good thing that we receive now, uh, we give you praise in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, this is a, a text that is a picture for us. Um, as I thought about that uh, old saying, uh, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. Uh, I wonder how many rolls of toilet paper it's worth now. I don't know. Uh, but it's a picture, and it's a rich picture, a picture of Jesus and, um, uh, and the people who had surrounded him that day. And so let's, let's get in our minds the picture, if we will, uh, to narrow it down to three component, components, a, a city, a cult, and a crowd. There was the city, the city of Jerusalem, this uh, city that for the Jewish people came to be, embody what it meant to be God's people. They were, they were as tied to that city as they were to anything, maybe even overly so. You go back through the text of uh, the Hebrew Scriptures, and you find Jerusalem mentioned so many times. Their hearts uh, would, would go out for that city. Uh, you, in, the psalmist uses Jerusalem so often. You look in Psalm 122, you find Jerusalem repeated over and over again. It's just how great Jerusalem is. It's the psalm that begins with David saying, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And of course, what he has in mind is the house of the Lord that's in Jerusalem. It was a joy for him to think about going to that great city that truly embodied what it meant to be God's people. They wept over Jerusalem when Jerusalem, when God's guard had come down and, and he allowed op uh, opposing armies to come in and to loot and destroy the city. They lamented over the loss of Jerusalem. Uh, Psalm 125 begins saying, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. And so you can see very much how Jerusalem embodied God's goodness, uh, God's people. But for Jesus, Jesus had a different take on the city. Uh, he, he, he had said, and if you want to turn just a few chapters before, you'll be reminded of something Jesus said in Luke 13, where he says in verses 33 and 34, uh, it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. Why is that? Because Jesus understood Jerusalem really not embodying uh, God's what it meant to be God's people, but almost what it meant to embody opposition to God. He goes on in verse 34 and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. And on this day, Jesus looks down and on, on this city that, that so many people said, this is the city that represents what it means to be God's people. And Jesus looked at it and, and thought, it is so far from what it means to be God's people. And if you just read forward from where we left off in the rest of chapter 19 there, the next thing Luke talks about is Jesus going into the temple, that structure that more than anything embodied God's presence. And, and he went into that temple complex and started driving people out and turning people o turning over. He didn't turn people over, he turned tables over. 
And, and he said, you, this, this is the house that is supposed to be the house of prayer, and you've made it a robber's den. So much, they had gone so far from being what God wanted them to be. And Jesus looked down on that city toward which he rode on this day. Then there was the colt. Uh, they had gone and got a colt for him, just as he instructed. This colt that, even though it seems odd to us, it was an, another symbol of his messianic role. They understood that prophecy from Zechariah 9 where it says that your king comes to you humble, riding on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And even though we might think that's an odd symbol for a king, they understood that to be symbolic of the Messiah. And what I don't want you to miss in this is that this is all done under Jesus' instruction. This was not just some happenstance where the disciples got together and said, hey, let's go get a colt for him to ride on. Jesus told them to go. They only did what he instructed them to do. And they went and got the colt. He got on it. He knew exactly what he was doing that day. He knew exactly what, was, what it was going to inspire. He, he knew exactly the, the tension that was going to mount around, around what he did. But he got on that colt and he started riding down into town. And, and strangely enough, if, if between the city and the colt and the crowd, if any of those three really understood best what was going on that day, it was probably the colt. Now don't go away and say, well, the preacher said that we don't have the sense of a donkey. I didn't say that. What I'm saying is that the, the cult represents the, the wide creation of God, the, the creation that understood that, that what was happening that day was of God. It was God bringing to a culmination this great act of redemption that was, that was coming to its fruition and fulfillment in Jerusalem. And so Jesus gets on the colt and he rides down into town that day. Uh, the, 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 some of the Pharisees from town saw him as an antagonist. They came out and they, they, they said to him, you know, you need, to, you need to tell your disciples to be quiet. They didn't want an uprising. They, they didn't want this stir. They didn't want Jesus to be getting all this attention that day. They, they said, you need to tell them to be quiet. And Jesus said something that's really odd. He said, if they're silent, the stones are going to cry out. And we think, well, what, what in the world is he saying? And once again, it's just he understood that creation itself embraced what was happening that day. It was a movement of God, the true Messiah. Here he is. He's coming into town. Creation is going to celebrate it. If these disciples are, are quiet, somebody is going to shout that day. You know, and we want to be part of that crowd, don't we? We want, we, we know it's our role, it's, it's good for us to be part of that crowd that celebrates this day when the king rides into town. And that's what the crowds were doing. That's where these crowds were. The, the, uh, when, when Jesus gets on that donkey, his twelve disciples are with him. He starts going down the pathway into the city. And as he goes, the crowds start to get bigger and bigger and bigger because they understood the, the symbolism. They knew what was happening that day. They understood that Passover was beginning. They understood the messianic symbolism of what was going on. And they start throwing their cloaks in the road before him. They start shouting. And Luke puts it like this. He says that they, were, they began to praise God with, with a joyful and loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. 
You see, all of these people, by now Jesus was a widely familiar person. They knew about him. They had heard his teaching. They had seen the miracles that he had done. They understood. And, and Jesus knew all of what he taught, all of what, all the miracles that he had done. It was to show the people by example, by evidence, that he was the true Messiah of God. He is the one upon whom they had waited. And so the crowds were only doing what, what they should have done that day. They were celebrating him because of the miracles they had seen. They shout, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Everything about what they were doing, everything about what they said was right. And here's the odd thing about it. They were so right, and yet they were so wrong. I know that sounds strange for me to say. They were so right, and yet they were so wrong. If it were just a case of them being right, and the people who represent the religious leadership, the city, were so wrong, I think Jesus' response might have been a little bit different. And quite frankly, I think it's good for us to be reminded of this as well. Because what we want to do is to say, well, the crowd got it right that day, and we stand with the crowd, and it's just too bad those were the rest of those saps didn't get it. But there's a real important way that the crowd didn't get it either. Because it was not just a matter of acknowledging Jesus' lordship. It was also a matter of understanding the nature of Jesus' lordship. And that's where the crowds didn't get it. That, that's where they were so far off the mark. And I think that's, when you put all of that together, that is why Jesus responded like he did. As you go, if you go to the Holy Land now and you go to the mount, to that ridge called the Mount of Olives, and you start making your way down toward Jerusalem, you start making your way down a fairly steep and winding path down. When you get part way down, there is a very small church that is built there. It's, it's a fairly modern structure, but it's built on some, some ancient things that were there. And the name of the church is Dominus Flevit, simply meaning in Latin, our Lord has wept. And you go there and you look down upon the city and you pause and you, and you bring back to that moment the fact that on that day, Jesus in the midst of these shouting crowds, shouting Hosanna, shouting blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, that he wept. And I think he did more than just weep over the city. I think he wept over the, the whole situation. It must have looked strange to an exponential degree for Jesus to have wept at that point. But he wept. And I think this is where we need to go back to the words that he shared. And let me share with him. Again, it says in verse 42, after it says that he wept 
uh, he saw the city and wept over it. He said, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. If you had only known the things that make for peace, not peace in the English language, peace, shalom, the fullness of what it means to be in the kingdom of God. If only you had understood, but it's hidden from your eyes. You don't see it. And after going on and, and giving a detailed prophecy over something that would happen that would be fulfilled only about 40 years after he said this, he goes on and he sums the whole thing up again. And you read in verse 44, and he says, all this happens, quote, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. And I think it's proper for us today to ponder those words. If only you had known the things that make for peace, and because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. What this text is telling us, yes, telling them and telling us, is there's something that God wants us to get. And that's putting it in everyday colloquial English language. God wants us to get it. He's, Jesus said to the crowds there, you don't get it. You don't get it. You don't get the things that will make for peace. You, you haven't recognized the fact that God has come to you and He has tried to convey something to you, but you did not recognize his coming. And Jesus wept. And I think Jesus will weep over us as well if we don't get it. So then there's the question, what is it? What is it that we are supposed to get? I don't fully know the answer to that. I, I was talking with somebody the other day, and I said, you know, I'm much better at coming up with questions than I am with answers. That's true in many ways for me. I don't know the answer, but I think it's a good question. What is the it that we are supposed to be getting right now? I'm pretty sure that we're not going to get it if, we, if we're not able to hear. I started reading a few days ago a book on the Passover written by a rabbi by the name of Evan Mothic. And in the book, he goes back to the biblical account and he starts talking about you know, the Hebrew people in Egypt. He talks about Moses. And when he relates the event that is really familiar to us, if you grew up in the church, this is kind of embedded in your mind. Uh, Moses has come out of the wilderness or out of Egypt. He's uh, functioning as a shepherd in, in the wilderness. He has his flock out. He's on the mountain. Uh, and he sees what? A burning bush. And it's from there that God calls him to go back into Egypt. Moffick makes a statement in the book saying very simply Moses had to be present in order to hear the voice of God calling him. He had to be present. And you might read that and you think, well, of course he was present. He was there, right? But that's missing the point. In fact, Moffat goes on to say that uh, Jewish sages have written for a long time that that bush had probably been burning for a long time. And many other people had passed by it without knowing. 
I know we usually don't read the story that way. We don't hear the story that way. And so we might think, well, that's, that can't be true, is it? Frankly, I'm not interested in debating whether or not that's true. Honestly, the text doesn't tell us one way or another. But don't let that hinder you from hearing what's being said. And one thing the text does tell us is that it was only after Moses had noticed the bush and turned aside that God spoke to him. And I hope maybe that you will hear a, a, a parallel to that in our current circumstances. It's strange how timely this can be to read this and to reflect upon some things that happened so many years ago and to bring it into our circumstances right here in the United States with the circumstances we're facing with this virus. What is it that God would want to say to us? I've heard language, people commenting time and time again. We can't wait for things to get back to normal. I've used that language myself. And in a sense, I still do. I want things to get back to normal. But even in saying that, it occurs to me that it may be that God doesn't want things to get back to normal. Because going back to normal means that we will, we will just go back to the way things were without having learned what God wants to teach us right now. Or to put it another way, we won't get it. And I think the Lord would weep over that. What is it that God wants us to get right now? What is it that God's voice wants us to hear that He would teach us right now? I think for some people it might be a case of coming to saving faith. Maybe our circumstances have shaken us a little bit. And maybe some of those people are a little bit open to the realization that they are not where they need to be before God. Let me frame it this way. If you happen to hear these words, and you can say that the first thing that pops into your mind when we use the term Easter are eggs and bunnies rather than an empty tomb and a resurrection story, you may need to hear God's voice saying, there's more that you need regarding your faith. There's more to just believing in God. There's more than just saying, I'm a spiritual person. There's the matter of realizing that this, this redeeming act of Jesus Christ is for you to embrace. And He reaches out asking you to come by repentance to Jesus Christ, accepting what He did as a sacrifice on the cross, receiving it by faith, and, and giving your life to Him and following Him the best you can day by day. Maybe right now is the time that God is saying, I want you to move from some just general spirituality 
to actual saving faith in Jesus Christ. And He waits on you to surrender your heart to Him today. Maybe for some of you, it's a reawakened faith. It might be that you're at this point of your life and God has been tapping you on the shoulder saying, you know, at one time, you, you, were, you were close to me. But something's happened, and over the years, maybe even over decades, you've just kind of wandered off. You had a good foundation, you grew up, you, you, you can remember a time when you were at the wall, altar, you, you gave your life to me, you embraced the gospel message, but you've been like a sheep that that's just had your head down going from one patch of grass to another, and, and you look up now and you, you haven't realized how far you've gotten from me. And it might be that God is saying, I just want you to come home. Come home. Come back to the foundations. Come back to uh, the, the groundwork of your faith that you had so long ago. It's that Father reaching out to you saying, I just want you to come home and be near for your faith to be vital once again. Or maybe, maybe you're like a whole bunch of people right now who have truly been doing the best that, you know, we, we say we're doing the best we can. We try, even though we don't always get it right, to follow Jesus Christ every day. But we've tried it. We're, we're trying to be on the path. We're trying to be faithful. We're trying to be in ministry together, uh, to submit ourselves to the call of God every day. But yet there's something that God wants to teach us. There, there's something that God wants us to understand that's been missing from that walk of discipleship. And perhaps this is the time where God has us open to think about that a little bit more, to ponder our present-day circumstances and ask that question, Lord, what is it that you're trying to teach us right now? It's very interesting to me to observe some of the things that we are uh, experiencing right now, I started to say enduring, but it's not enduring. You might think it's enduring, but that's not the right word. Some of the things that we are experiencing right now that's put upon us, not by our choice, just but, but just by virtue of our circumstances. For instance, we can't go about our normal schedules anymore, can we? You and I are not doing what we would normally be doing in these days. How, have you been like me? to take your, your phone or your iPad or wherever you keep your calendar and just go day by day, you go delete, 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 delete. Why? Because I can't go there and I can't go there and I can't go there and I can't go there. It's different now, isn't it? Our schedules are not what they have been. And I just wonder if God may not be saying something to us in that. You put that with the reality that uh, many of us are now spending much more time with our family than we have. Husbands are spending much more time with their wives and vice versa. Parents are spending much more time with their children and vice versa. I've heard it said in, in jest that, uh, you know, 10 months from now, we're either going to have a baby boom or a, a, or a wave of divorces. 
I hope the first might be true and not the second. We are with our family more. How does it feel? Maybe God is saying something to us in that. Or it's also true that some of us are not able to see our family like we have been. You have a loved one that's on lockdown in a care facility of some kind or in a hospital and you can't go, be by, go to be by their bed. It's different now, isn't it? Maybe God is teaching us something in these moments about our families. It's true that many of us are having to learn new things. I know I am. I'm being forced to learn things that I didn't think I was going to have to learn because in order for us to go about life, we have to do it differently now. In order for us to go about ministry now, we have to do it differently. We're having to learn how to use new technologies. We're having to adjust to our patterns and our schedules and our functioning being different. And okay, let's show of hands out there. How many of you really like change? There were a bunch of hands went out there, right? Uh-huh, I know. Because I know you and I've talked with you. Now, I know there are plenty of you who say, I like change is good if it's, wor if, if it's necessary, and that's fine. But I know there are a lot of people who just, I don't want to change. I don't like to change. I, 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 don't, I want them just like it is, and I'm just going to hunker down and bear it. Maybe God is trying to say something to us about the need to be adaptive and flexible and, and, and ready to learn when we thought we were at the point of life of not having to learn anything anymore. Maybe God is saying something to us. And let me just throw in by way of observation... Have you noticed that here we are in 2020 and how much less talk there is about, about a presidential election? It's funny how that isn't the headline of the news anymore. It's also sad that even in our circumstances, everything gets politicized. It's also very interesting how much good you see going on. Good, you hear about Athletes who are donating entire years of salaries to, to help people who are being impacted right now. You hear of businesses and, and uh, NFL team owners who are taking their corporate you know, jumbo jets and, and hauling supplies. You, you hear of, of all of these things, distilleries who are making uh, hand sanitizer now, and, and you just hear so much good that the good among us is rising to the top. And I wonder if why it might have taken a crisis like the one we're facing for all this to happen. Is God saying something to us in all this? You see, I think He is. And I don't think He wants things to go back to normal. I think He wants us to hear, to hear His voice and to learn what he's trying to teach us right now. In our daily devotions, I came across, uh, as we were reading this week, and some of you have read this as well, uh, the author of our devotional, J.D. Walt, had, had a little paragraph earlier this week. And when I read this, I read these words, and I thought, this is so prophetic without him even intending for it to be. And I want to read you just this little paragraph. It came a day or two ago in the devotions. 
And from a pastor's heart, really what he's encouraging, encouraging is the same thing that I encourage so often. You get to these familiar times in the Christian year, and, and the pastor wants to say all the time, don't miss it. Don't, don't be so familiar with the text, familiar with the story, that we're unable to hear something new. And that's exactly what J.D. Walt was trying to say when he wrote these words. And he said, quote, We haven't been here. We haven't done this, and we don't have the t-shirt. As we near Jerusalem and all that will unfold there, let's begin praying for grace to hear with new ears and see with fresh eyes and behold with deeper humility this great mystery like never before. We've never done, excuse me, We've done Easter before, but not this Easter. Now, if you want to know why I think that is so prophetic, it is because this was written a year ago. It was not written this year. It was written last year, before the term coronavirus was a common household word. How in the world could he have known that he would write something last year that would be so powerful this year. We've done Easter before, but not this Easter. We've had wringing of hands over Easter. Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? Are we going to be able to have Easter? What if we're still on, uh, on social distancing and lockdown when April the 12th ro rolls around? What are we going to do? We're going to celebrate Easter! All the forces of evil tried 2,000 years ago to keep Jesus in the tomb, and they couldn't do it. I promise you coronavirus is not going to keep Easter from happening. We are going to celebrate the fact that Jesus came out of the tomb. We are going to announce to the world that Christ is risen. Hallelujah. And that 2,000 years ago, God brought to a culmination this great act of His redemptive work for His creation, and we will continue to proclaim it every year. Our only challenge is to hear it with new ears this year. And I promise you, friends, when, when, when this is passed, we're going to celebrate, we're going to get together, we're going to party like God's people ought to party, we're going to celebrate the resurrection, Every day to us is Easter. We're going to celebrate. But here's what I want to say this year. Let's not miss the voice of God. Because if we do, I think Jesus will weep over us just as He wept over the people so long ago who just didn't get it. And He wants us to get it to understand with greater fullness what it means to be kingdom people now and always. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that even in the midst of trying circumstances that we can praise you, we praise you out of this storm, Father. You're good, merciful, and gracious to us. I thank you for Jesus and who he was on that day when he rode into town and Indeed, we join with the crowd and we shout and we celebrate today. And we also recognize that there may be ways, Lord, that we still don't get it. But God, we confess to you that we want to. 
And I, I believe, Lord, that your voice still speaks to us today. God, I pray in your mercy that your face will not be hidden from us, and that your voice will not be hidden from us, that we might truly understand what you want to speak to us right now, so that we might draw ever closer to you and be ever more able on Easter to surrender our hearts in celebration to you. Father, we ask these things in a wonderful name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can catch our worship services online at www.rmumc.net. May the Lord grant you the light of His truth as you journey through this day.